Good morning, Life Church Livonia. Hi, if you guys are new or you recently started attending, my name is Kate. I'm one of the pastors on staff here, and today I get the privilege of launching our Simply Christmas series. And what is behind this series for us is that Christmas can often be a chaotic, overwhelming, stressful season. And we thought to ourselves, what do we want to do this season? We really want to make it simple and we want to bring it back to Jesus. And so today I get the privilege of talking through Matthew 1, which is the genealogy of Jesus, which if you don't know what that means, it's the family of origin. It is, where does Jesus come from? And Alex, a couple of weeks ago, talked about how the holidays can be really hard because people, period are difficult. People are difficult. I'm difficult. You're difficult. Whether that's because there's unresolved conflict or whether there's just a difference in personality or political opinions, uh, holidays can be really challenging. And I know that for myself, holidays have always been a little bit tricky for me coming from a divorced family uh, whose feelings am I going to hurt? Where am I going to go? What's it going to look like? And in the past year and a half, it has actually gotten a little bit more challenging since my grandpa died. My family doesn't get together anymore, and it's just really messy. About a year and a half ago, though, I was enveloped into a really wonderful family. My, boy my boyfriend's family has just loved me really well and included me in their traditions, and it's been so beautiful. It's been this beautiful picture of the redemption of God, and I am so grateful for the way that God works. And I, as I was preparing for this sermon, I couldn't help but think about my family of origin and my family tree. And recently I actually got together with my aunt and she gave me a copy of my family tree, which is super neat. And she sat with me and she talked with me about some of the people in my family tree. And so I wanted to take a few minutes and just talk a little bit vulnerably about my family tree and my family of origin and some of the things that I found, which are super interesting. So here's an overview of my family tree. It's um, pretty big <laughs> um, and you can't really read the names, but here at the very beginning is the Axleys and they were French Huguenots and which if you don't know what the French Huguenots were, um, it was like French Protestant, uh, reformed, Calvinistic, and they were escaping from uh, England, coming to America for religious freedom. And one of their kids was named Reverend James Axley, which is so cool because there's a reverend in my family tree so I come by that honestly <laughs> there is actually a few things that I come by honestly <laughs> uh, so we're gonna fast forward to my great-grandma which is my grandpa's mom uh, Zelma Zelma Zoe she was the valedictorian uh, she came from a well-to-do family and everyone believed that she was just destined to go places they were pretty well off they had carpet which I hear in the 1800s was kind of like a big deal. <laughs> um, but she met Richard, and Richard was like a bad boy, um, and they ran off and they got married. And a week later she came home and she said to her mom, like, I don't want to do this anymore. And her mom said to her, you made your bed, now you're going to go lay in it. Can you even believe that? Lacks compassion completely. So I also come by that, honestly. <laughs> God is so redeeming. <laughs> um, anyway, so Zelma and Richard. Richard was an alcoholic, and he was pretty abusive to my great-granny. And that just means that, like, my grandpa experienced some pretty hard uh, times. And his siblings, they grew up on a farm. They were sharecroppers, which means that they worked. 
and um, didn't really have any money. They had dirt floors, no running water. Um, and I can just recall some of the stories that my grandpa told me. He would say things like, I don't want to talk about my dad. He was a really hard guy. And, um, and my grandpa drank a ton as well. And, um, you know, it's just interesting how those things trickle down. There's also uh, Zelma, my great granny's brother, JW. He, um, he also didn't amount to much either. Um, and he was a really super nice guy. My aunt told me like she would, she went over to his house, super nice guy, but on his porch, he had this um, porch with two rocking chairs on it and holes right next to each of the rocking chairs. And she said when she leaned down to look in the holes, it was just like Bud Light cans all throughout, like just throwing them in there. Yeah. So alcoholism runs rampant in my family. And thank God, I actually have been sober since 2007. I'm not good at math, so I'll just let you go ahead and do the math. But God is so redeeming that he was able to redeem my story and my addiction issues. And he's able to use that to bring glory and honor to his kingdom that I can empathize and have compassion and love and support for other people um, and break that cycle. You know, it's really interesting. Now, here we have a picture that I just like, I think that it was my granny's uncle, uh, but his name was William Buckner, and I just had to include this because I thought it was so funny. His name is William Buckner. He is also known as Horse Swapping Bill. <laughs> and I was like, oh, you know, my cousin was like, he must have been slinging horses, you know, left and right. And I found out he's a little shysty. Like he would um, uh, sell really, uh, like he could sell a three-legged horse to anybody and act like it was a deal. Like just shysty. Ah, it's just like, you know, there's a lot of things in our family of origin that we're just not super proud of. Um, anyway, so that will take us to my grandpa who married, um, my grandma, Luzia. They met when he was in the military and, um, had, uh, my aunts and uncles. There's a whole bunch of us. So you can go to the next slide and, um, you can see there are just like my aunts and uncles. And then here's me and my brother. Um, this is really out of date and actually lots of names are spelt wrong, but I'm just super honored to have this genealogy to reflect on and look at. And I can't help but wonder, as I was looking at Jesus's genealogy and as I was looking at my genealogy and my lineage and my family of origin, uh, things that came up, what about you guys? What do you think about your family of origin? Do you guys consider how some of the cycles in your family might affect the way that you show up today in your lives? I mean, what um, are some of the things that you experience that you can associate to like your parents or your caregivers or even the environment that you grew up in? How many of you when you were kids would go over to your friend's house and be like, hold up a minute, y'all are allowed to wear shoes in the house? Or like, wait, 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 you guys have unlimited access to snacks? No way, I can't watch that show at my house. It's like this revolutionary moment where you see like some things are normal for other people that aren't normal for us. I know that for me it was probably about eight years ago, and yes, I know, it was not that long ago. I found out that throwing up after eating eggs was not normal. <laughs> My whole life, I would eat eggs, I would feel nauseous or throw up, and uh, I just didn't feel good. And I just thought, like, this is normal. So, like, what are some of the things that you have normalized? Is it uh, being passive-aggressive when your feelings are hurt? Is it gossiping or talking poorly about people? Is it avoiding conflict entirely? 
Is it showing love and affection because that's what you witnessed? What are some of the things that you have normalized? I know that we oftentimes have these like family rules that we um, just abide by subconsciously. And I want to invite you guys into a place where you can reflect on those things today. Uh, I'm in this group called Plumline, and if you've been around for a minute, you know, like, I'll talk your ear off about it. I think it's wonderful. But the leader of that group says, every family has dysfunction. What makes it healthy or not is if you're willing to talk out loud about the dysfunction. Maybe some of you have really great families that talk openly and honestly about the struggles that you have as a family. Maybe some of you are like me and you don't. Maybe when there's a fight, you don't speak for months. And then when you re-engage, you just pretend like nothing ever happened. Maybe you just explode and get really aggressive and loud and lash out at each other. Maybe you just get really quiet and turtle up and isolate and withdraw. What are some of the parts of your family, whether it's infidelity, divorce, alcoholism, passive aggression, what parts of your family have written a part of your story and how might God want to use this Christmas to rewrite some of those things? Now, what I'd like to do is jump into Matthew 1. This is going to be the genealogy of Jesus. And while I do it, I'm going to be reading a lot of names. So if you zone out, I don't want you to, but if you do, take that time to really just think about your family of origin. Think about some of your behaviors and things that come naturally to you. Now I'm going to jump in. Matthew 1.1. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah whose mother was Tamar, Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Amminadab, Amminadab, the father of Nashon, Nashon, the father of Salmon, which is different than Salmon. You actually do pronounce the L in this. <laughs> I think I'm funny. <laughs> Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Oh, scandalous. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, Abijah, the father of Asa, Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram, Jehoram, the father of Uzziah, Uzziah, the father of Jotham, Jotham, the father of Ahaz, Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, Manasseh, the father of Ammon. Ammon, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shiltiel, Shiltiel, the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel, the father of Abahud, Abahud, the father of Eliakim, Eliakim, the father of Azor, Azor, the father of Zadok, Zadok, the father of Achim, Achim, the father of Elihud, Elihud, the father of Eleazar, Eleazar, the father of Mathen, Mathen, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Thus there were 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David, 
14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to Messiah. So here's an observation that I made while I was reading through and learning more about the people in Jesus's lineage. God doesn't write us off. God writes us into the story. And I want to zoom in on a handful of people throughout this lineage, throughout this genealogy, and really describe who they were and some of their characteristics that we read in scripture. So I'm going to start with Jacob. Jacob the cheater, okay? Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, dad of Joseph. Jacob, he's the father of the 12 tribes, and his father played favorites. And it's no wonder that he also played favorites with his sons. Since birth, Jacob is a little bit sneaky. He's born and his, his name actually means grasping his brother's heel. It means to cheat and to lie. He cheats his brother Esau out of any inheritance. And he lies to his dad on his deathbed, stealing his brother Esau's inheritance. His character is described as someone who strives to overcome others, to overpower them. And he does that by manipulating. He manipulated his brother to get what he wanted. And then he's renamed Israel, which means striven with God and with humans and has prevailed. There's a redemption story here for Jacob. It's interesting to consider why his kids thought it was acceptable to sell their brother into slavery too. I wonder if that has something to do with his relationship with his brother Esau, who he ceased relationship with for a long period of time. How the family behaves, it weaves into the way we communicate and behave towards one another. How did your parents teach, uh, treat your siblings? How did they treat you? Do you think that that might cause some discontent or uh, disgruntled nature in the way that you interact with one another? Next, we have Rahab, who's known as Rahab the prostitute. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. So we don't know a ton about Rahab, but we do know that she was a prostitute. She was a prostitute who covered for Joshua spies. Joshua spies go into the city of Jericho to get intel. And they sneak in to Rahab's place and she says, uh, I'll hide you, I'll get you out of here, just spare my family. So she did that and, and they complied. She helped them escape and in return, they spared Rahab's family in the battle at Jericho that occurred. We also know that she's the mother of Boaz. And what is so interesting to me about this right here is to, con to consider who Boaz was in his community. He was respected. He was a man with property, people who followed him, and, and he was a man who people turned to for support. He presented as this respected man, and he was kind, and he was gracious to Ruth. And I wonder about what kind of family of origin work that Boaz had to do to fight against the perception and the um, labeling that he had that his mother was a prostitute. She was known for this. It was a common thing that people knew about him. What did he have to do to overcome the label that had been placed on him? What kind of work have you had to do to fight against labels that have been placed on you because maybe your mom slept around and has multiple kids with multiple different men? How does that look in your family? There might be some work that you have to do to break some of those chains. Next, we've got Ruth. Ruth the foreigner. 
Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Her husband dies, so she's committed, she's super committed to her mother-in-law, Naomi, and she follows her mother-in-law to her land, which then uh, makes her an immigrant. It makes her a foreigner. And she was so committed to Naomi. She was willing to become a servant worker to provide for her mother-in-law. Instead of going home and having a potential opportunity to remarry and be cared for by her people, she becomes grafted into the story of Jesus. And this is important to notice because in the lineage of Jesus, we see a Gentile, someone who's on the outskirts, not supposed to be there, being woven into the story of redemption. Our Savior, a Gentile, is included in that. She's damaged goods. And here we see Boaz, Rahab the prostitute's son, taking intentional loving care of her. What kind of work did they have to do to, to break generational patterns and, and chains? Next, we have David, David the murderer, also known as. He's also known as a man after God's own heart, but let's read about it. And Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. That's included in the history of Jesus. David was an unlikely leader. He was the youngest brother in a, in a string of brothers, and he was overlooked and not considered when a king was being sought after. Dismissed, told he was incapable. There's a giant that people are trying to defeat. And David, the youngest, the overlooked, the dismissed, says, I got it. My God is bigger. My God is going to take care of it, and he's going to do it through me. And he comes in, and he defeats this giant that no one else was able to defeat. And he's placed into a position of leadership. And in this position of leadership, he summons a warrior, Uriah's wife, also known as Bathsheba. And we don't really know what her response is to that summoning. There's different you know, options that it could be. She could be grateful for the relief to come and see the king. She's lonely. Her husband has been gone. Or she could be subjected to the king's power and authority. We don't really know what her response was. But I can't imagine that if a king summons you, you don't really have a choice but to go. And here she is. And David impregnates her. He has sex with her and he impregnates her. And he's concerned about this. So he says, hey, go get Uriah, bring him back from the troops and um, send him home to be with Bathsheba so that he can cover up his sinful nature. So he can cover up this um, horrible decision that he made, this sin. And Uriah, being this man of integrity, sleeps at the gate and says, how can I go home and enjoy my wife when I've got my men are out there at battle? And so then King David says, well, that didn't work. Send him to the front line so he gets killed. He murders this man to cover up his own sin. And yet, David was considered a man after God's own heart. And I can't help but think that that's because in the midst of this trial, this persecution, and the consequences for his sins, he repents. He says, I was wrong. God, forgive me. He turns it around. And God sees that. God sees that when we do that. When we recognize our shortcomings, when we recognize our sin, when we recognize the dysfunction that we have and we surrender it to God, he can redeem that. Next, we have Rehoboam, also known as Rehoboam the failure, perhaps. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, 
Rehoboam is the son of King Solomon. And now Solomon, he did really awesome work. He built two, two palaces and the temple of God. And these building projects, they were really long. They took like 40 years. And this is a whole generation of people, okay, that are building stuff for Israel. And it was a major labor for these people. They were exhausted. They were glad to be a part of it. Um, they, were, they were grateful to be a part of building the nation of God. Kings and queens, they, they would, kings and queens would come to the kingdom and they would counsel with King Solomon. And imagine it's like being a part of a third world country and building it up to a first world country in 40 years. And like real time, you get to see your country be this beautiful and amazing thing, okay? Now, the people, they came to Rehoboam to tell him, hey, listen, we're tired, we're grateful to be a part of the work, but it would be really nice to rest a little bit, to have a little bit of less work, and in return, we'll remain faithful, we'll remain dedicated to you. And so Rehoboam says, all right, I'm going to counsel with some people. So he counsels with the first group of guys, and it's the elders. And the elders say, yeah, do what they ask. This is awesome. They came to you. They told you what they wanted. Respect that. Here are the people. And he says, okay, thanks. And then he goes to another group of people. They're his peers, they're his buddies, they're his friends. And the second group, they say, tell the people, my father's thumb isn't as thick as my little finger. They tell him to assert his dominance. So he says, yeah, 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 I like that. I like how that feels. I'm gonna go ahead and do that. So he sides with his buddies and decides to show the people who's boss, and it splits the kingdom, turns it into two different kingdoms, Judah and Israel, and it destroys everything that his father, King Solomon, had done in one year. In one year, he just destroys everything that his father had built and worked for. Rehoboam is prideful, he's egotistical, and he fails. His granddad is King David, and he destroys everything that David built, everything that Solomon worked for in one year. How have you failed? How have you allowed your pride and your ego to get in the way of hearing good counsel, of changing? I encourage you to think about that. Here we have people who sought dependency on money, people who cheated, manipulated, people who used and abused their power, parents who played favorites to create division and disunity in their households. We've got people who've got unmet fears, deception. These are the people that God allowed to be in the lineage and genealogy of Jesus. God wrote them into the story. He didn't write them off. And I, quite frankly, I was grateful to see some of the hot mess of a situation going on in the genealogy of our Savior. And that's where the genealogy ends, right? It ends with the Savior, with Jesus. He is adopted. And he adopts us all into the story of God when we accept his sacrifice. Jesus Christ was a real man who was born into this world, who lived a whole perfect and sinless life, who was beat, crucified, and died. And on the third day, he rose again, defeating death for all of us who choose to accept that sacrifice. So often, we write ourselves out of the work of God. And if we're really honest, 
we write other people out of the work of God. And here we see God writing into the kingdom all of these people. There are people in the lineage of Jesus who I think I probably wouldn't be okay with playing in the band on a Sunday morning, who I would feel uncomfortable with greeting at the doors. And God chose these people to be a part of the genealogy of our Savior. That is powerful. How beautiful, how awkward, <laughs> how incredible it is that we have all these sinners and people who did major reconstructive work to what was normal and acceptable for themselves. They did real work and God wrote them into the story and we get to look at them and we get to choose to be written into the story of God when we accept the work of Jesus in our lives. You guys, your story, it isn't over. Your marriage, it doesn't have to be what it is today. The heartache and pain from the divorce doesn't have to define you. The hurt from your friends betraying you, that can be healed. Your passive-aggressive conflict style can be redeemed and transformed. The bitterness, anger, conflict avoidance that you choose because you don't know how to do it any different. God wants to redeem every single part of your story. Every one of these people, the end of their story in the lineage is the redemption of the world. The story ends with Jesus for those people I just described. And symbolically, that's God's plan for your story too. He wants your story to end with the acceptance of Jesus and the transformation of the Holy Spirit is here for you. And so if you've never accepted the sacrifice of Jesus, I wanna invite you into a place where you get to receive Jesus for the first time. Let Jesus rewrite your genealogy let him rewrite these family of origin wounds. Open yourself up to allow Jesus to change the dysfunctional ideologies and habits and behaviors that have defined you for so long. Pray with me right now. If you've never accepted Jesus, pray with me. Dear Lord, I have lived life my own way. I have fallen short and been selfish and self-seeking in my motivations, and I surrender that to you today, and I accept the work of Jesus on the cross to bring redemption into my life. Thank you for salvation that I find in him today. Thank you for the gift of transformation that comes through your Holy Spirit, Lord. It's in your son's precious name that we pray. Amen. If you just accepted Jesus for the very first time, let us know comment in the comment section, send us a message. Let us know how we can love and support you. Making a decision to follow Jesus is challenging, but you're not meant to do it alone. I wanna to talk to two other groups of people. If you've stalled, if you know Jesus, but you're not making great choices, 
you feel stuck, maybe. My challenge to you is to become like Boaz. He had major work to do to allow God to change his environment. His mom was Rahab the prostitute, which means he grew up in a brothel. What work did he need to do to allow God to turn him into a man who would be the type of man who would love his community so well, who would be respected in his community so well? If there is not a vibrancy or a transformation in your life, what needs to happen? Do you need to go to counseling? Do you need to do some genogram work and really unpack your family of origin stuff? I encourage you to do that. And the last group, if you're mature, if you feel like you are making progress and you are faithful and committed to your relationship with Jesus, how are you helping other people do their work? If you've been doing your work and you're flourishing, this is awesome, this is beautiful, this is the gift of God in our lives. Who are you helping to take their next steps? Let's do this together, you guys. This is why God has called us to be a part of a community. We are better together. Thank you guys so much for joining today. Thank you so much for listening to me share a little bit about my family and sharing a little bit about Jesus's. We'll see you guys next week.